Let's get started then. Let us take a moment to remind ourselves why we are here. Remind ourselves how it is we are here. And reflecting on that great opportunity, being grateful to all those who have paved the path for us to be here today, right from your teachers, all the way to the greatest teacher mankind has ever seen. The greatest teacher is the one who does not have a teacher. That is how you find who the greatest teacher is. He doesn't have a teacher. He has to discover the path all by himself. You know how difficult and how arduous it is for us to navigate this path with a teacher. Just imagine how it must have been for someone without one. Nothing short of a miracle. That is why we call him the miraculous one. There's none like him. There's none who has traversed this path without another's help. Even those such as the great elder Sariputta, Mahamuggalna. They had a teacher. You know that the Sariputta Thera's wisdom was only second to the Buddha. You know this, right? And yet, he needed a teacher. Even he could not find the path for himself. He needed someone to guide him, at least by a mere word. That must convince you that this truth cannot be discovered by oneself, unless, of course, you are the supremely enlightened one. Now that you're listening to these sermons, you're listening to Guru Hamdru, you've been on this journey for a while, it's seeming like it's making sense. Yes. You're experiencing the freedom from desire, aversion and delusion. Yes. But thanks to whom? You know that this is the right path because you've, have, you've got a guidebook. You know the yardstick with which to measure your success, your journey, the distance that you travel on this path. But what did he have? Nothing. He had to do it and then check it out for himself. If he was wrong, there was no one there to tell him he was. In fact, many people did. Even when he was going the right path, people said, what the heck are you doing? This is not what you should be doing, because no one knew. You know, we take the Buddha lightly sometimes. We say his name every day, day in, day out. We do the morning Buddha Puja, the afternoon Buddha Puja, hmm? the evening Gilampasa Puja. Buddha, 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 Buddha. Right? This is one of those words that flows through our minds and through our mouths so freely. But he's a very special gift. He's like no other. He's unique. That is why we call him the unparalleled one. That's why we call him the peerless one. 
there's no one we can look at and say just like the buddha he also did this or he also did that no can't say that not just like the buddha now then consider how fortunate we all are how close you have come to him you have come to his embrace to his feet you have begun to drink the milk of the dhamma that flows through his infinitely compassionate chest how fortunate do you think you are almost all of you have even come into robes or at least as close as you can to a robe this is unheard of the advent of a buddha is so rare and then to be able to hear his teaching is even more to want to come along every day and be on this path until you achieve your salvation i think is probably the rarest thing ever well done because you have understood you have realized the value of a supremely enlightened one this is the greatest respect the greatest reverence that you can make to one giving your life you can give your material possessions you can give some food you can give some clothes some medicines you can give your house you can give the whole world but once you've given your life what else remains offering your life is what we do when we say namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa i turn my life towards that path i choose that course for my life that is what we remind ourselves that is the pledge that we take our lives have no other purpose than bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa so bearing that in mind purposefully let us bring our hands together our palms together in veneration of the magnificent one the glorious one the undefeated one the unvanquished one he was like none other there was only one like him and there will be no more like him he is our father he is our guide he is our master and to his holy name we make this veneration namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa just consider for a moment how much our lives have changed where were we meant to end up and where are we now 
You know, individually, just take a moment to think about this. No matter what your age is, <coughs> male or female, just go back to the day that you first heard these talks. You heard that voice. You heard Guru Swami Nuhansi's voice. And you thought, wow, I've just discovered the purpose of my life again. <laughs> because that would have happened to you on previous occasions as well. But you, what you didn't know was this is the last time that you were going to say that story. I've discovered the purpose of my life. When you heard your math teacher at school, when you heard your physics teacher at school, when you heard someone get up on a stage to pick, take a mic and start to speak to you and they, they excited you emotionally, you thought, yep, I've discovered the purpose of my life. But then you said that one last time, maybe three weeks ago, maybe six months ago, for some of you, maybe six years ago. And then from that day, your life took a very different turn, didn't it? One that seems incomparable to all that you have taken before that. The product of, who, of, of all those decisions you've made since that day is what sits in front of me right now. That is that product. Now take a moment to go back in time. Just imagine that that day never happened in your life. Where would you be today? Don't look down in embarrassment as I'm doing. <laughs> and or not, let's be honest. Where would you have been, madam? Where would you have been, sir? Do I need to begin to ask? Look at how many people have benefited from this encounter of a Buddha. You know, it's not just one person, two people, three people. Just look at all of us. The many scores of people who listen to these talks, but they're not able to come here just yet. But I know, even by now, many dozens of people living far across these oceans, they're making plans. They are. We're beginning to get news from them. Where is your monastery? Why do they bother asking if they're not planning on coming? How do I get there? If I come, can I stay? Will you keep me for two weeks, please? <coughs> I'm not asking for much. If I bring my son, would you let me and him stay for three weeks? These are some of the questions that we are beginning to hear. Those days we only heard that from the four corners of this land. But now those cries for emancipation are coming from far and wide. I told you this tsunami was coming and it is coming. Collectively, we have all made that change. I think if the Buddha were here today, he would be very proud of us. Don't you? I'm asking about you, not me. Let me sort that out with my Buddha. I'm asking about you. If the Buddha were here today, would he not be proud of you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
whatever you have made, whatever change you have made, whatever contribution you have made, initially to your own selves. If you haven't helped yourself, you can't help anybody else. That is not the way this asana works. You can't. Anyone who has made any contribution to this asana has made a contribution to themselves. Full stop. The extent to which you have managed to save yourselves, the degree to which you have managed to free yourselves from the pangs of suffering, from the clutches of desire, from that fog of delusion, the extent to which you have been able to save yourselves from that is the extent to which you have been able to pave the path for yet more people to come and get this, take this advantage. So we are hearing those cries from far and far afar now. Yesterday, someone told me that there's a gentleman who lives in a country called Cameron. I don't know if many of you have heard that name. It's in the, in the South African continent. He's a black gentleman. He listened to these sermons. Don't you think he would be proud? And not just, not just that. He'd come to know that we do these merit transfers at the end of every almsgiving. And recently he'd sent a list of his relatives, past relatives, and said, please, at the next transfer of merits, can you read their names out and transfer merits to them? And I would like to make an offering to the Buddhasasana. Just think about the change it has, you know, the Dhamma has had on people's lives. I was a non-believer. Yes, I called myself a Buddhist because that is what you were supposed to do. I was born to Buddhist parents. That is why I called myself a Buddhist. But not all of you were. Not all of you were born to Buddhist parents. Not everyone who's listening to these sermons now, week on week, were born to Buddhist parents. They are becoming Buddhist parents, but parents in a very different way. Biological parents, even animals can do that. But I'm talking about spiritual parents. I'm dead certain each and every one of you would have held someone else's hand and brought them here. Not literally here, but here, to his feet. Each and every one of you would have brought one other person. Were you not a parent then? When you did so. When you interested someone in just listening to a talk, you know, there's a philosophy. You've got to listen to that man. That philosophy is life-changing. So before you could say that, you had to prove to them that it is life-changing. So what you did was, you practiced the path, you listened to the sermons, you came along, you started doing your merits, and you just became a wonderful, beautiful, blessed person to be around. That is what you did first. That is why you are deserving of this praise. That transformation happened within you first. And so you, can, you could claim, you could proclaim, you could look at others and go, see, I have changed. 
How do you recommend a good dentist to someone? You open your, smile, your, your mouth and you begin to smile and half of your teeth have fallen. Huh? Can you now claim to know a good dentist? The other half is rotten. You can't claim to know a good dentist. But if when you smile, you have a beaming smile, and it's beautiful to look at, a full set of teeth, white as white can be, now can't you claim to know a good dentist? Won't people believe you when you recommend one? Absolutely. So it is only someone who has good dental hygiene that can recommend a good dentist. So then tell me, who is someone who can recommend a good philosophy? Who has good spiritual hygiene? What is your spiritual hygiene? You understand what I'm talking about because you've all come that far. You've all come some way in, on this journey. Good spiritual hygiene. People can sense that. When you have good dental hygiene or poor dental hygiene, can't people sense that? Of course, you get a reaction. Some will say, can you smile again? I like that smile. Others will say, please can you ensure you don't smile again? <laughs> So people know when you have good dental hygiene. In the same manner, ladies and gentlemen, people know when you have good spiritual hygiene. It is not how well you can speak the Dhamma, explain the Dhamma, that is not what good spiritual hygiene is. I always tell you this thing. How do we know the great elder Sariputta? Honestly, how do you know him? You know his name because it appears in the texts. But when you hear these words, the great elder Sariputta. Now you feel like even uttering the word requires you to just at least slightly stand up from your seat. Hmm? The great elder Sariputta. Let's be honest, none of us know how much Dhamma he knew, did do we? If his wisdom was only second to the Buddha, how the heck are we ever going to know how much he knew, how, what, how profound his wisdom was? But we do know him. How do we know him? We know him by what others have said about him. That's how we know him. When you read his biography, when you read the biography of Bhadrakachayana, the great Theri, when you read the biography of Kisa Gautami, the great Theri, when you read the biography of Rahula, the great Thera, Anagarika Mahatmiza are doing a fantastic job bringing these stories to life for the modern era. Because in the 21st century, not many people have time to go and read these books because they have other books to read, like how to get to the moon in three days. You know, these are long-lost heroes. They were the people whose footsteps on this earth were a blessing to the earth. You know, today we must consider it our privilege to be able to walk on this earth, right? It's a privilege. We are, we are honored, we, are, we feel privileged to be able to walk on this earth. 
But back then, the earth felt privileged to have those great men and women walk on it. Because every footstep they took, something wonderful happened. Hearts were healed. Desires were quenched. They were completely exterminated. Aversion and delusion had nowhere to run or hide. Mara's army had to go looking for places to hide. Every time in each of these Udana stories where the Buddha or his disciples speak about the encounters with the Mara, every single time, if they were a disciple of the Buddha, the Mara always failed. I mean, come on, what a legacy. If you watch a football match, you know, they have the scores on the board, right? So first it begins with 1-0, and then it goes 1-1, then it goes 1-2, then it goes 2-1. Yeah, that's how a football game goes. Now tell me the game of the Buddha's asana. On the one hand, you have the great Arahants, you have the Buddha. On the other hand, you have Mara. Hmm? Which match did we lose? Tell me. Which game did we lose? Our forefathers, our ancestors, those great men and women who showed us, who showed us the path, who put down their footsteps in front of us so that we could follow in those footsteps. Which game did they lose? To this day, the score stands. Whatever their score was. And on the other hand, for Mara, nil. Every name I relate to you, that's one. Ananda, one. Sariputtatev, one. Rahulatera, one. Mara, nil. Kashapatera, one. Kisagotamitera, one. Mara, nil. He should have learned his lesson when he went and met our father. But he didn't. That's why he's called the Mara. Maybe that is his job. So why do his disciples today, the Mara's disciples, not realize that this is not a game that they can win? You know, one encounter with the Buddha is enough. You've all had that encounter. You know, proper encounter, a real encounter. Not just rubbing shoulders with them, but actually if, if a Buddha speaks, oh my God, it is the end. <laughs> Is it not? It matters not what question you ask him. Imagine the Buddha came, he arrived to our Katnaping come today. Right? You want to just go and offer him a Gilampasa. Oh, maybe you know, someone just comes up and they're lost, they're asking for directions. And they bump into the Buddha. Venerable sir, I'm trying to go get, get to Ingiria. Which way do I go? You're asking the wrong question, young man. Can you give me the time, please? You know, just bump into the Buddha. You're asking for the time. Right? You, you, want, you're, you want to get to an appointment. You, know I mean? you think you're running late, so you, you, want to, you want the time. Can I have the time, please? You're asking the wrong question, young lady. What is time? <laughs> and then he begins.
How fortunate must we be to have encountered the Buddha? Just think about it. Don't think of yourselves lightly. So much so that I think, you know, you can no longer be named Homo sapiens. I think they need another name at the end of that. Because once you encounter the Buddha, once you listen to his teaching, and if you have at least taken the first step on the journey to become an Aryan, you are no longer Homo sapiens. It's a different species altogether. Because you don't behave like Homo sapiens, do you? What do Homo sapiens do when they get attacked? Huh? They attack. Because it is called the survival of the fittest. But in the Buddha Sasana, if you're an Aryan, that is not what you do. You don't attack. When someone hits you, you don't hit back. When someone bites you, you don't bite back. When someone scolds at you, shouts at you, either rightly or wrongly, you're like a sponge, you just absorb everything, a shock absorber. Because you can, that's why. You, you absorb because you can. You absorb because it doesn't hurt you anymore. You have taken a different perspective. It's not just out of patience. Yes, patience is a virtue, but there's, a given, there's an even greater virtue. It doesn't hurt. Harsh words don't hurt anymore. Do they? You know what I'm talking about. Harsh words don't hurt anymore. Accusations don't bother you anymore. Don't, do they? You fool, you donkey. They don't hurt us anymore. You dog. You called. We respond in return. Don't hurt us anymore. The philosophy of not hurting. So we can always be more accommodating of those people who are hurt because we don't hurt. So there's no eye for an eye. There's no tit for tat. We don't wage war. No battles to fight. This is really, you know, a transformation that is worth celebrating. And you need to. You need to because you deserve to. That is on one side, but what about the other side? You know, sensuality is a disease of the mind, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you've begun to realize that. Lust is a disease of the mind. It's a disease. It's an ailment. Normal minds don't feel that. It is not normal to feel lust. It is abnormal. It is not right. It's wrong. Not morally wrong. It's just wrong. It's like if this got if it just started walking. That's wrong, right? That's wrong. Not morally wrong, it's just wrong. Lust is a disease of the mind. It's wrong. 
Desire is a disease of the mind. It's wrong. So the Dhamma heals. The Dhamma is the medicine. His teaching is the medicine. It heals. We know it heals. Because we are experiencing the extinguishing of that desire. That is why I can speak to you. And I can tell you, come on this journey. It is so blissful. It is not just the end that is blissful. Even the journey is blissful. Enjoy the breeze while you take the ride. Open your windows. Enjoy the breeze. It's so cool and soothing. Because desire is a disease. And aversion is a disease. Ego is a disease. Remind yourselves how much you suffered, and perhaps you still do, to whatever degree desire, aversion and delusion have still, you know, they still overtake your mind. If it hurts you, if it bothers you, right, you are diseased, you're ailed. Identify that, recognize that, and then work towards salvation. But many people don't do this because they don't realize this. They think desire is part of normalcy. And you know, this is why we often say, come to the sasana. Because only in the sasana will people respect you, regard you, and recognize you. As for someone, if you, if you don't feel desire here, they will say, hats off to you, sir. Hats off to you, madam. Kudos. But out there, if you say, I don't feel desire, they'll take you to the doctor. You don't agree? Try it at home. Try it at the workplace. Try it among your friends. Your friends invite you to go to a party. People are dancing. Some, you know, they're eating food, music, right? enjoying. And say, come on, let's go to the dance floor, Masha. Come on. I say, no, it doesn't interest me. What do you mean it doesn't interest you? Look at those people, you know, they're like these mantises. Moving their legs and arms here and there. What are they doing? Is that, is that really dancing? They think they're dancing. Something wrong with you. You know, they'll start talking then after that. In their little circle, your friend of, you know, their circle of friends, they'll start talking about you. They say, he, something's wrong with him. He needs help. Intervention. And then they will intervene. They will. They'll take you to a psychiatrist. How do I know this? First hand experience. But then, you know, if you are the right kind of people to, to, to bump into, then good things will happen to the psychiatrist. Such encounters are also possible in the sasana. But that is what people are, you know, out there. I, think, I, I sometimes remind myself, you know, the number of TV channels that, that we used to have, and they still are. When you go into a restaurant, the number of different, you know, the, just the sheer variety of food items on, on, a, on a menu card. Just think, folks, have 
with a with a modicum of compassion just 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 examine a menu card now most of you because you have now become anagarika sravakas sravikas you may not even remember what a menu card is so one of these days i'll come and put one up on screen hmm? <laughs> this is what a menu card is it's antique <laughs> you may not even remember what one looks like so on a menu card here's what they have okay in case you can't remember they have about 150 different types of rice and then 235 different types of noodles 60 different types of drinks so when you go to the restaurant they ask you what would you like today sir you are bamboozled by all the choices you have and that is why they say chef's choice outside <laughs> it makes choosing easier super the day hmm? so you don't have to go through the plethora of choices you can just, can i just have the soup of the day but you want to know that you have the choice that's a good feeling i want to know i have the choice but do you remember those visits to the restaurant hmm? three or four of you or the family you would go 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 together you sit down and then you ask what are you going to have what are you going to have? i mean why do you need to ask someone else what are they what they are going to have <laughs> because you are not sure when there are so many choices what are you going to have and there's another reason you want to try a bit of many so you order one you make sure that someone else is not having that so you can try that as well as a family that's what you do so again you're looking for variety you ask amma what are you going to have that what are you going to have do what are you going to have don't have that one i order that one hmm? and the same goes for drinks as well and dessert same goes so you try and get as much variety on this table and now you go through them one by one trying it out and in case you're not you know you go with friends let's say and not very close friends but say acquaintances you know you can't just dip into their sushi can you they just going they're going to have theirs you're going to have yours but you look at that and you think hmm they seem to be enjoying that next time i come to the restaurant that is what i'm going to try whilst eating already what you have ordered see you can't even enjoy the food that you have ordered and you have paid for because you're watching someone else eat something and he seems to be <laughs> delighted by it now you can't even enjoy what you paid for you didn't pay for his meal you're paying for your meal but you can't enjoy that why because someone else just opposite the table is having something else and they're going mm yeah this is my god this is wonderful isn't it delectable <laughs> and you're like oh i shouldn't have i should have ordered that can we swap <laughs> so you can't even enjoy what you've paid for ladies in the house you will have similar experiences when you dress up for an event hmm? how much does a good saree cost 10 rupees sometimes you pay tens if not hundreds of thousands hmm? so you adorn yourself with that get your makeup done do your hair do your makeup do all that and then you go to the party 
And all after going there, what do you do? Do you want one of these? What do you do? You look at yourself in the mirror? What do you do? You look at others. Did you pay for their saris? I mean, what, you, what you're trying to enjoy now, is that the one you paid for? No. The one that you paid for, the necklace that you paid for, the makeup that you paid for, the hair that you paid for, the, the, the dress that you paid for is all on you, but you're not enjoying it. Flawed. I tell you, it's flawed, it's completely flawed. And you fell for it. So sometimes you spend hours, I mean, it's not just the, the, the money. What about the time? Add up all the hours you've spent at a beauty parlor. And write it down on a piece of paper. Don't tell me what it is. The time you've, had, you've spent at the hairdressers. The longest I've spent getting dressed was for my wedding. Because I had to dress up as a, what do you call it, a traditional dress. And my God, that was painful. <laughs> All those layers of clothes that had to go on. That was the longest I'd spent dressing up. But then I realized, you know, what must being a woman be like? Nothing against, you know. I'm just saying because my mother, seen her, didn't have a sister in the family, so I don't know, not seen that. Later on, had a wife, so I've seen a little bit of that. But you know, just think about it. You can't enjoy what goes on you. You've paid for it, you've spent the time for it, but you can't enjoy it. The necklace that goes on your neck. How many times do you see it after you put it on? Tell me. You put it on for others. Hmm? How compassionate. Yet who is always fearful about it? Might someone snatch it from me? Hmm? You always have to keep checking, right? Is it on me? Is it still on me? If you're on a bus, right, you travel somewhere, go somewhere, there are a lot of people around, you're looking at them, they seem a bit dodgy, right? You're always checking yourself. Have I got my necklace on? Got my earrings on? Got my, all my stuff on? So you're, you're checking them, so that someone else can enjoy. You know, really, you should be paid, shouldn't you, by others to dress up like that? But do you? No, you pay for it. See, flawed thinking. I'm giving you examples just to remind yourself how much you have changed thanks to the Buddha. The freedom that you're able to enjoy today, thanks to the Buddha. I used to carry my car keys with me. <laughs> You have no idea how many times I was so scared that right? you wanted the car key. The number of times I've been through that mental torture. And the more expensive the car, the more scared you get. Yes or no? Of course. Car keys, house keys, the lot. See, all that fear, for what? All because you wanted to carry this feeling with you that it is my car. 
What are cars made for? You know what pens are made for? What are cars made for? To own? Is it? No. To be driven around in. And must you be the driver? Must you? No. In fact, who least enjoys the ride? <laughs> Today is not a good sermon. <laughs> who pays for the car? The owner. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, normal, you know, regular, usual arrangement. I'm not talking about one where you have a chauffeur. Okay? So you own your car. You saved up the money. You got out the loan. You bought the car. Right? And now you're paying, making your monthly payments. Miss two payments and they take the car away. All that. And, and still, you even have to drive the car. So every time there's a vehicle approaching, the car slows down. The heart speeds up. They're inversely proportional, aren't they? Heart rate and car rate. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very much against our Swami Nuhansis, our Anagarikas, Anagarikas, even going home. You know, even if it is like for a, a, a meritable deed or maybe a pinkam or something sort, I always say, do you have to? We send them, let them go, but I always ask them, do you have to? Must you? Must you go? Because as safe as we might be when we drive, remember, we are not on the road alone. How many cars approach from, from the other direction? Drunken people. Hmm? And, a, and a pothole you don't see at night. You're dri driving fast. Something's on the road, an obstacle of some sort. Something's fallen on the road. It's been heavy rains, landslides. Sometimes Swami Nasa come and tell, like just last week, someone, one of our monks came and said, Swami Nasa, my grandmother has passed away. I said, yes. Parents called, mm hmm? What do you want to do now? I have to go, haven't I? <laughs> I said, must you? Of course, you know, we let them go. Because it is duty. But then think, I, I asked him the question, Swami Nasa, just think about this. You know, you're going to see a dead man, putting your life at risk. It's quite possible that when you get there, there will be two funerals. I mean, that person's dead. It's not like you can revive them or give them the Dhamma. There's nothing you can do for them now. The transferring of merit you can do from here itself. But you have to go because we have to do, fulfill our duties. If something similar happened in my family, I'd have to do the same. I'd, we do it wholeheartedly, yes. But if you think about it logically, just logically, pure logically, right, you're going to see a dead man. But you're taking, you're putting your life at risk to do that. So must we not go to a funeral from here on? No, 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 no. that's not what I'm saying. Funerals have to be <laughs> attended to. Pay your last respects. Sometimes it is so true, because that is the last time you can pay respects to them for a long time. They won't come back for a long time again, for another respect. But, these are the expectations that you will have to live with in your lay lives. Out there, you know, people are 
crazy. People are crazy. Because when they feel like, when they feel vexed, what do they do? They relieve themselves from vexation. Don't you think that's crazy? Hmm? Does relieving yourself from vexation treat the problem? Does it fix the problem? Does it bring the problem to an end? Does it close the problem? No. It only makes it, what? Worse. It only makes it worse. So if someone's got a problem and they're doing the very thing that makes it worse, what would you call them? Crazy people. If you want to watch a film, what's the worst thing you can do? Tell me. Let's talk through why that is so. Not because I say so. Clearly. If you want to watch a film, what is the worst thing you can do? Watch a film. Let's work out why that is. Right now your mind is vexing because the mind is looking for the object of its desire. I want to watch a film. So it's vexed. It expects pleasure to come from the film. But is pleasure in the film? Is it in the movie? Is it in the film? Certainly not. How do we know this? Because you thought the same last time you went to the theatre. Last time you went to the cinema, you, did, you thought the same thing. And here you are again, wanting to watch the next one or the sequel. So this is proof that it is not in there. And there are those who do not wish to watch it. You know, this is simple logic that people don't see for some reason. So you're expecting this to make you happy. And then you go and sit down in front of it. Now you start watching it because your vexation is being addressed. Simple as that. Right? The object that you have been seeking is being given to you drop by drop. Now your vexation is being released. That relief from vexation you experience as pleasure. But because you misinterpret that, because you think that pleasure equals to happiness, now you think, ah, so the film did make me happy. And then what happens? That ignorance that got you on this path is reinforced. So you think, yes, we, the film makes me happy. Now that reinforces that original bad logic. And then you think, okay, the next time this happens, I have to do it again. And you do it again, and again, and again, and again. You know, this is why, ladies and gentlemen, by this point, if you actually think about it, you know, people often ask, right, why does, how come society advances so much? Why is it that technology has advanced so much? You know, those days you used to have black and white, then you got color, right? Those days you had a 2D, now it's 3D, and then now it's 4D and 5D, and how many Ds, I don't know now. And then you have the, the various dimensions you had. SD, then you had HD, and now you have, what, 8K, 12K, 16K videos published. You've got to wonder why it is that people want bigger, better, smoother, richer, more vivid, because the previous one didn't do it for them. But now it can no longer. It's like antibiotics. Why do, they, why do they always caution you against taking strong antibiotics? Hmm? I think most of you will know the answer to this because we've, we've, been, we've all been there. They caution you against taking strong antibiotics because if you take one and then the bacteria, they build up a resistance to it. You know, some of the, the population will be destroyed 
from that antibiotic, but there will be some who are, who are, who are strong and that bacteria population will remain. They will become resistant to it. So if they're resistant to that, bacteria, that antibiotic, you can't use the same antibiotic again. Now you're going to have to find the stronger one. But the antibiotic, in just the same way that it kills the bacteria, what else does it kill? The patient taking it through its side effects. These are strong drugs. So just like antibiotics, every time you take one, the next one has to be stronger. That's why they say, if you're taking it, take the full course. Why do they say, why do they advise you to take the full course? So that every germ, every bacteria, every bacterium in that population can be destroyed and none remain that become resistant to it. That's why they say, take the full course. Because if some remain, now they are partially or at least fully resistant to the antibiotic. So the next time they start to proliferate, you can't treat them with the same antibiotic. See, the same concept applies. People understand that for disease, those diseases, but they don't get it for desire. They understand that concept for antibiotics, they don't understand it for seeking pleasures. Because pleasures seem so, you know, people feel they're so entitled to pleasure. Only the poor seek pleasures, ladies and gentlemen. It's not the rich. Only poor people seek pleasures. I'm not talking about poor in money, I'm talking about poor in mindset. That is why you got, you've got to be different. You can't be doing what the average Joe does and expect to achieve greatness, expect to achieve something that they haven't. If you do what people before you have done, you will end up the same place. But do something different. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do something else. Do something uncommon, unusual. You will end up in a different destination. You know what the Buddha said? The, 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 the simile that he, that he used, he said, the, the number of grains of sand I can hold on my fingertip, on my thumb tip, this is all that will do, I tell, as I say. This is all that will take a different approach, a different perspective, a different walk in life. The rest of them, in as much as every grain of sand on this earth, will only do what they've always done. Because... People are so addicted to pleasure. People are addicted to pleasure. That is why Nibbana even is, is such a struggle. Although, you know, you might wonder, we've been listening to sermons so many years, right? I've been practicing the path, observing the precepts. How come I haven't become an Arahant yet? Because of pleasure. Pleasure is the chain that keeps you wound and bound to sansara. Pleasure. You need to contemplate on pleasure. You need to reflect on the reality of pleasure. This is your Buddhist practice. Whenever you sense pleasure, contemplate on, its re on the reality of it. Contemplate on its true nature. What is this pleasure? You know, we are, um, now we are going back to the sermons that we used to do many years ago. That is where most of us started, right? Talking about pleasure and vexation. And today we are talking about jati and separation. It's not two things, it's the same thing. A couple of weeks ago I explained to you, it's only once you separate can you now either engage with it or distance yourself from it. Aversion and delusion or aversion and desire are both products of the basic delusion. 
to either like something or dislike something, there must has to be something. So we're talking about the same thing. Same thing as we used to talk about, but just a little bit more advanced, a little bit more detailed. You know, last week I reminded you, how, how committed are you to this? Are you doing your 100%? It's important that you do. Uh, and there is a reason for that, ladies and gentlemen. Why you have to do your 100%? Because if you do your, say, if you do 99%, and that 1% remains, your 1% that you could do but you're not doing, that 1% will begin to grow. It will begin to grow. It will begin to reproduce. And that 1% will take over. It will start catching up. It will become 2%. That will go on to become 4% and 6%, 8%, 12%, 20%. But if you are doing your 100%, that's fine. It doesn't have to be the next one's 100%. If you are doing your 100%, then you are full on. You are there. You're always there. You're, you become a threat to your defilements. You've got to challenge your defilements. I mean, become a hero to yourself, I, ask, I, 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 I encourage you. Become a hero to yourself. I ask you, who's your hero? Hmm? Who's your hero? I want you all to say, Me, Swami Nansal, I am my hero. Not in a foolish way, not in an arrogant way, but because you know you do your 100%. You know hand on heart, honest to, you know, honestly, you know. Honest to your conscience, you know that I do everything I can. You know, think about a life like that. If you, if you haven't achieved that yet, let's get there as soon as possible. A life where you know you're doing everything you can. No secrets. No hidden agendas. No doing what you're supposed to do when someone's watching you, but something else when no one's watching you. Because if you're that kind of person, you can't say you're doing your 100%. And then if I ask you who's your hero, you can't say me. You can say anyone but me. I, I speak to you like this because I know you've all come on this journey. You've come a long distance. right? So th there are a few things, you know, just little nigglies that you need to sort out. That will fast track you on this journey. Just little things. These are those little things. See, today I don't tell you don't do unmeritorious deeds. That would be an insult. Don't kill. Okay. I mean, leave aside the, the insult. It would be pointless talking to you and telling you don't kill. Because you... Why tell you things you don't do anyway? Now I'm, I'm beginning to talk to you about the, those little niggly things, you know, those little things that, that go unnoticed. Are you fully transparent? Give me a virtual nod, either this way or that way. Only a virtual one, don't do it for real. I want, I want this question to reach to your conscience and I want you to bring out an answer from your conscience. Are you fully transparent? What I see here, is that who you really are? Or have you got a mask on? 
When you claim to be a disciple of the Buddha, when you say Bhagavato Tassa Savako Hamasmi, if the Buddha were here in person, would you say that? Hmm? Would you walk up to the Buddha and say, Venerable Sir, you are the all-knowing one. I can't hide anything from you clearly. So, let me say this to you. Bhagavato Tassa Savako and the Buddha's left. Because he doesn't want you to lie in front of a Buddha. That would split your head in seven. So he's done you the honor and he's begun to take his leave. Come back later, Upasagamata. You're not ready to say that yet. I want you all to, to, to prepare yourselves for a life with no secrets. A holy life. If you indulge in sensuality, be upfront about it. I indulge in sensuality. That is better than a life where you don't you do that, but then you hide behind everyone. I say, no, I don't. Because that is a dishonest life. An insincere life. Everyone who comes in front of the Buddha are those who have desire, aversion and delusion. That is fine. Right? You don't need to be an arahant to claim to be a Bhagavato Tassasavaka. But you have to be upfront. You have to be open. You have to be transparent. Can I see you the way the Buddha sees you? I'm not talking about my ability here. I'm talking about the Buddha sees you, he scans you, he sees you, every bit of you. Because he has this ase anuse jnane. The knowledge with which one can see dormant defilements. So there's no hiding from him. When you take yourself in front of your teacher, I don't mean in public, I mean you take yourself in front of your teacher, do you expose yourself to your teacher as if it was the Buddha in front of you? Because to the Buddha, you don't need to expose yourself. Right? He'll see you head to toe in every aspect that you are. But in front of your teacher, of course, you know that your teacher cannot scan you in this way. They'll only know what you tell them or what they suspect, perhaps. So, I mean, this is not typically advice I would give to people, you know, they just live a lay life. This is not advice I'd give them. In fact, this is usually advice I'll share with our monks. Anagarikas and Anagarikas. But you know, bring me lay people, I'll talk to them. There are no lay people here, that's a problem. <clears throat> Everyone's on the holy path, the noble path, in every bit of the way they can. Everyone's doing their 100%. At least I believe you are. So, in that 100%, I tell you, be, be transparent. Be like pure glass, not frosted glass, pure glass. Fully transparent, 100%. What, you, what is on one side is what you can see from the other side. If you are not there yet, then do something about it, it is what I am asking you to do. Do something about it. Don't be there forever. It's not a nice feeling to be that way. Do something about it. 
change yourself, improve yourself, work on yourself so that you can be who you claim to be. So your fitting of that prayer mat that goes on your shoulder. You can claim to be, or you can be who you claim to be. If you're in robes, I tell you, venerable sirs, be fitting. If you have a prayer mat on your shoulder, be fitting. If you observe the Gahatta Dasasikkapada on a regular basis, if you bring yourself here as an Upasaka or an Upasaka every day, every other day, every week, every other week, whatever, be fitting of that. Improve yourself, work on yourself so that you can be fitting towards that which you claim to be. You know the Buddha, when he sat down in, beside the Bodhi tree, he said, I shall not get up until I am fitting to my ambition. Until I have achieved what I have come here for. Until I have achieved and, and claimed the kingdom of, of the Buddhas, I shall not get up. I will keep working on myself. I will keep striving. I will keep going through this internal transformation until I have achieved the pinnacle of my success. You know, that is what we are here for. You all know who you would like to be. That is the picture that you show to the outside. Now, transform your inside to be one with that. Not two. They should overlap. These two hands, they don't overlap. See? There's a thumb sticking out here and there's another thumb sticking out here. They don't overlap. But if I had two left hands, I could overlap them. I can do this and pretend to overlap. But they're not the same. That's why if you try and put one over the other, they don't. But I can pretend by doing this. Because they're mirror images. But a mirror is not a glass. It's not a transparent glass. On the mirror, your left becomes your right and your right becomes your left. But as you stand in front of a glass, a glass that is not a mirror, just a plain glass like this one here, what you see is what you get. Work towards that. Not for others. Work towards that. So that you don't have to pretend. You don't have to be someone unnaturally. Become that person naturally. And all you got to do is do what you've always been doing, but do it even more. Do it better. Do it more fiercely. Do it more passionately. Do it more acutely. Do it more vigorously. Do it wholeheartedly and purposefully. Work on your defilements. Identify them and continue to work on your defilements. Take your thinking, take your thinking back to, back to the, 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 the core principles of the Dhamma. Whenever you experience pleasure, ladies and gentlemen, don't drop the hat there. Work on it. Don't wait until you are 95 to become an Arahant. I speak to our young Anagarikas and our Anagarikas, our noble heart children, and say, Buddha, by the time you reach my age, if you are not an Arahant, you will have me to answer to. 
Because at their age, I didn't have someone like me or my teachers to guide me, to guide us. But they've got everyone. They've got all of you. You know, children with noble hearts, by the time they reach, you know, what, 30, what do you, ex- what do you expect from them? Robbers? What do you expect from them? Great arahants, no? Yeah, that's what we expect from them as well. Not for us, not for our sake, but so that they can live their lives freely. They can live their lives without suffering. Fear doesn't bother them, grief doesn't bother them, sorrow doesn't bother them. It's a free life. An enjoyable life, black or white, doesn't matter. Hot or cold, mm, don't matter. Up or down, whatever. Here or there, wherever. What a free life. I want all of you to get there. You know, we started late in life. Yes, I understand that. Hmm? Some of us started in our teens, others started in our twenties, thirteens, thirty teens, and fifty teens. You know, you're still teens. You're all teens. Hmm? Even if you're eighty, you're still a teen. You're just eighty teen, not eighteen. Still teens. But we started late. But that's okay because we know the story of the rabbit and the hare. No, no, not the rabbit and the hare, the hare and the tortoise. Right? It doesn't matter if you started late, you're doing what you need to do, you can get where you want to be. So starting late is not an excuse. But when you started, whether your hair was black or white, it's alright. If your back was straight or crooked, it's fine, not to worry. Because your chitta is just brand new. It has every opportunity. But what matters is us doing this. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to envisage. I dream of a, of, of, a, of a state of mind where you are free of desire. Just, 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 dream, just dream of that. Just have that picture in your mind. You know, isn't that a wonderful dream? A state of mind where you are free of desire. Matters not what people say to you. Matters not what people don't say to you. You don't have to. Cook. You don't have to go like a dog, right? Behind whatever. Food doesn't bother you. Colors don't bother you. Sights don't bother you. Sounds don't bother you. Smells don't bother you. An unblemished character. People always get what they see. A compassionate heart. Why is it that people struggle to care about others? Because they're far too busy doing what? Caring about themselves. That's why they can't care about others. So if anyone comes up and says, Swamina, I want to live my life, a life where I do things for others. I care about others. Good. All you've got to do is stop caring about yourself. How do you do that? How do you stop caring about yourself? By first caring about yourself. Because there's something you need to do to exterminate yourself, to extinguish yourself, completely eradicate yourself, uproot yourself. Once you've done that, there is no more self to care about. And then you just become a force of nature, a good force of nature. 
Look at the trees, ladies and gentlemen. The trees out there. Does the tree pick and choose who it gives shelter to? Does it? Hmm? Imagine an oak tree. A massive oak tree. Does it pick and choose who it gives shelter to? Does it? If you have a mango tree at home, does it pick and choose who it gives its fruit to? Does it? It doesn't. So who does it give to? Whoever needs it. A tree gives shelter to whoever needs it. No preferences, no choices. If you cut the tree down, does the oak tree cry? Does the mango tree cry? No. If you don't need me anymore, then you can do as you wish. This is what nature is like. A tree is a creation of nature. And so are you all. You're all a creation of nature. Think about the wind. When the wind blows, it brings its cooling effect on everybody. If you don't like the wind, you can spit at the wind. What do you think the wind is going to do? It will still blow. It's cool and soothing breeze. Swear at the wind if you like. You know, when I get home today, don't do it at the monastery, people will watch. <laughs> when you get back home today, right, get onto the rooftop and you start swearing at the wind. You wreck it, wind, 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 wind. <laughs> don't you ever come back this way, I hate you. You're disgusting. Surprise, surprise, two minutes later the wind will blow. Bringing with its bring with it its cooling and soothing effect. And if you're so tired and exhausted after all that swearing and shouting at it, it will cool you down as it blows. Not looking for your gratitude. It will not say, you didn't thank me yesterday, so I'm not going to come your way. No, it doesn't do that. No expectations, zero expectations, but 100% fulfillment. This is the nature of an arahant. Here's our, here's our aspiration. I want you all to aspire to be that kind of person. As I say, dream of a, of a state of mind, dream of a world. I don't mean the world outside, I mean your world. Dream of a world where you are free of desire. There you are not fighting for yourself because you don't sense yourself. Then you become a good force of nature. Like a tree, like the wind, like the water, like the earth. This is the advice the great Buddha gave Rahula. Become like the wind, Rahula. No expectations. Only fulfillment. Only reward. Always gives us reward. Doesn't pick and choose. But we can't be like that if we have preferences. You know, sometimes, maybe not so now, but those days, you know, you used to pick and choose who you smiled at. Some people used to smile at, others you didn't because you didn't like them. But sometimes, you know, there are people who would have done good deeds, right? Maybe there was a, there's, a, there's someone, you see, he's gone and helped a poor man. Given him something, you know, some of his food, his lunch. Right? You don't congratulate him. You don't say, well done, because you don't like that guy. 
hypocritical. Because it doesn't make you happy to, to see him happy. That's why. There would have been a time in your lives where you only wanted some people in this world to be happy. And who do those people belong to? Me. And some people, they don't need to be happy. In fact, if they're happy, I'm not so happy. So therefore, you know, this is what Guru Hamdur always says. If you, if you take, if you pick a camp in this world, if you pick a side in this world, you can only enjoy half of its beauty. The whole world is beautiful. Not just half of it. But is that so for you, genuinely? Is the whole world beautiful to you? Is black and white the same to you? Do you see the beauty in black in as, in as much as you see the beauty in white? You see a young, youthful person, hmm? taut skin, tanned, uh, upright, standing, right? nice hair. You say, oh, what a sight to behold. And then you see an old Achyama, a granny. I can't even stand up straight, walking with a walking stick, right? crooked, old skin, and just, she's falling apart. Can you see the beauty in that Achyama? Can you see her beauty? Or in her do you see a beast? Sometimes young people, you know, they don't like old people. If you don't know what that feels like, wait for it. Soon enough, you'll be an old person in and amongst young people. And then you'll know what it feels like to be an old person amongst people who don't like old people. We'll all find that out, what that feels like. Some people just don't like old people because they are old, they're yucky, they're old. They're not new, they're old. Wrinkled skin, hmm? blemished skin. As if it's contagious. That's how they, that's how they treat them sometimes. Not smooth and fine, but very coarse. You know that as you get older, look at your fingernails or your toenails. They start wrinkling up. They'll take some odd, weird shapes. That's not how it's supposed to be. Some people will find that repulsive because they can't see the beauty in that. That's the reason. But I tell you, that's beautiful. It's very beautiful. I don't know if what I'm saying is making sense to you, but to me, all things are beautiful. The young is as beautiful as the old, and the old is as beautiful as the young. Nice taut skin and wrinkled old skin. Beautiful. They're both beautiful. Grey hair, black hair, both beautiful. Are you seeing this beauty? I want you to be able to see this beauty. Fresh and rotten. One is yes, yes, the other is no, no. Why? I don't mean for consumption. 
But if you find things repulsive, there's a problem with you, your mind is diseased. Identify that. What is repulsive is not that, the fact that you are diseased. That is what is repulsive. The things that ought to be repulsed are desire, aversion and delusion, not the things out there. See, when people are given a nice hearty meal, they bring everyone around the table, Mm? They, they, they sing, they rejoice, they talk about the food, they discuss that, how did you make that, isn't this wonderful, isn't that scrumptious, you know, can you, would you like to have some, this, that and the other. But in six hours, twelve hours, right, that is down the toilet and then they flush it like it is not them who are responsible for it. Look away, turn the seat down and then flush it, like it wasn't I who did that. Honestly, you know, just, just say, just imagine this, right? Just imagine you were going out somewhere. Okay, let's not say you, some man. Okay, and, and they needed the, the toilet. There's no washroom to be found. But they, you know, when you, because when you need to go, you need to go, right? So, they have to go and take a call of nature, a long call of nature. And then some passerby asks, who did that? Not you, okay? Not you. Do you think that man, not you, would be able to say, I did that. That's mine. Chances are very slim that they can man up and actually say, yep, I did that. But, you know, if they, if they wore a, a perfume and said, whose is that? It's me. It's mine. It's mine. That's me. I'm the one who's smelling nice. I'm the one who's smelling nice. See? Why can't you, why can't you appreciate the beauty of that? It's beautiful. If you think I'm crazy, I'm sorry to say you're crazy. <laughs> An arhant doesn't repulse things in this world because the only thing that is worth repulsing has been completely eradicated. If there are still things in this world where you look at it and go, ugh, please take that away from me, I don't like the look of it, I don't like the smell of it, it's, it's disgusting, please come to your senses, you are diseased. There's an ailment in the mind. See, there are things in this world that can take away your happiness. Work on yourself. That's all I'm saying. Work on yourself. It's okay that it's, that it's like that, but it's not okay forever. It's okay for now, not forever. So work on yourself so that you can look at it and go, yeah, it's a bodily process. Not my process, a bodily process. In as, just, in as much as digestion or eating is, is, a, is a bodily process then, excretion is a bodily process. It's a bodily process. So what? If someone comes up on stage and sings a song, right? Let's say we're all blindfolded. Someone, one of you come up here, you're all blindfolded, someone sings a song. And you think it's a beautiful song. At the end of that, you all want to know what? Who was that? And the person who sang wants, also wants what? For everyone else to know that it was 
them. Right, let's say we are blindfolded again. And someone passes wind. Hmm? Someone passes wind. Now, yes, still, people want to know who that was. But the person who did that doesn't want anyone to find out. Why? Because that, the, when, when it came out this way, it was mine. When it came out that way, I don't want it to be mine. Why can't you appreciate the beauty of a fart? Why only the beauty of a song? They are both melodious. But to be so, here you got to be free. You got to be relaxed. You can't be tensed. That's why I said, if you are that kind of person, you will always split this world up into, and only one half will ever be beautiful. The other half will always bring you. you know, then you have heaven and hell. You create your own heaven, you create your own hell. Because you only have like half of this world. If you like black, you don't like white. Then you'll always have to go looking for where you like to be. You'll always have to keep roaming. That is what you're doing in sansara. Roaming in sansara. Looking for the places you like to be. This is what roaming is. Roaming in sansara. Always looking for the places you like to be. Looking for the people you like to be with. Looking for the sights you like to see. Huh? Always looking for it. But just imagine if anywhere was fine. If all sights are the same. If you could look at all things equanimously. Now where would you have to be? Where would you need to be? You're fine just where you are. Then you can stop roaming. If you can truly become a citizen of nature, aspire to that. Not a citizen of Sri Lanka. Because if you are a citizen of Sri Lanka, you'll always want to come back to Sri Lanka. Hmm? If you're a citizen of America, you'll, wherever you travel in the world, you'll always feel like you're an American. If you, are, if you come from Australia and you feel that is your citizenship, you'll always feel like you have to go back to Australia because where, no matter where you go, you'll always feel, I belong to Australia. But what if you can belong to nature? Where do you find nature? In Australia? In England? In Germany? In Spain? In Portugal? Where do you find nature? Nature is everywhere. The whole universe is nature. The whole universe. I'm not just talking about a, a global citizen. I'm talking about a universal citizen. Become a citizen of nature. Aspire to that. When you're a citizen of nature, whatever Mother Nature gives you, you've got to be able to embrace that. If nature is your mother, then whatever she gives you, that is your heritage. You've got to be able to accept that. How do you get there? You've got to be able to not see the world through a lens that separates things. That is how. 
Once you look at the world through the lens of Dhamma, you realize that all there is, is the same thing, just in a different arrangement. That's all. Just the same things. You know, all these objects you see on this desk, right? There's a heap of beetle leaves, cup of water, clock, some flowers on a tray, pens, a duster, voice recorders, microphones, right? All these things. They're simply arrangements of matter manifesting different, differently, that's all. But for that, you've got to be able to see the world like that. But if you see the world as separate things, and you can't help it, if inside you feel separate. Separate from what? Separate from everything else. That is your identity. You feel you're unique, don't you? Your uniqueness is your curse. It's not your blessing. The very thing that you think you are, you know, your very identity is your curse. It's not your blessing. That is what we are trying to destroy. Your, your very identity. You know, here we are trying to become no one, not become someone. Because when you are someone, everyone else is, a, is someone else. It's the perfect trap. Because whenever you become someone, you have to fight for that someone. And then everyone's fighting for themselves, now the whole world can exist. That's the perfect trap. But if you can see all these things, on this, just on this desk, if you can see all these things as merely manifestations of the same matter, arranged in different ways, these are just purely configurational changes, that's all. When you, when you turn up the dials on a, on a voice record, not a voice record, a voice player, uh, sorry, uh, um, music player, hmm? or a mixer, if you've seen those mixers that people use to adjust the audio, uh, for a setting, right? You turn up the dials, you know that these are only configuration changes. You can always go back to a previous state, right? You can always change the state, go back to a previous state. Because that setting is purely just an arrangement at that moment. See, you know the difference between this? Let me see. The difference between this and this A different setting. It's a difference in Patavi. It's a difference in Apo. Difference in Tejo. And difference in Vayo. It's merely a difference in the pure octet. Vanna Gandhara Soja. Along with Patavi, Apo, Tejo, Vayo. It's just a different setting. So if this is say... 20% Patavi, perhaps this is 15% Patavi. It's the same matter, just rearranged. But they manifest differently because, and therefore they have different qualities. You can eat this, you can chew on this, and nothing harmful would happen to you, but try that with this. You'll have to go to the doctor. Same matter, but when configured in a different way, it has a different quality, a different characteristic. You know, like, like a, an audio mixer. Let me give you a demo. Right? So, right now, can you turn up the... Does it allow you to turn up the bass treble and so on? On your mixers? Yes? Alright. So, this is the, the, this is the normal setting that they have. Right? Let's turn up the treble and turn down the bass. 
fully. So now, we've turned up the treble and turned down the bass. The quality is different, isn't it? That's all that is different. Just a different setting. It's not fixed, it's just a different setting. The same dials you can now reset. Full bass and zero treble, please. And this is what you get. Yes? Are we there? Ah, oh, there we go. So how do you know? Different quality. See, that's why. Patavi, Patavi. But different settings. Therefore, different qualities. In the, in the audio, you can actually sense that quality, that difference in quality. Here, you can sense, you can sense it if you try to eat it. If you hold it, if you, you know, crush it, you can sense that. Right, go back to our standard setting. Give us some reverb. Let's make some music. Yeah? Is that fixed? No. But is it not a different quality? The characteristics are different. Because the settings are different. That all, you know, this setting, the reverb setting was also set previously, but to a very low level. Now we've just turned it up. On the previous occasion, the bass was set to a, a standard level, you know, a normal level, an average level, but then it was turned all the way up. That is why you got a different, different quality, a different characteristic. In the first experiment, we turned the treble all the way up and the bass all the way down, and then a different characteristic. All three of them, the bass, the treble, the reverb, all three of them are always there. They're always there, just different settings at different events, different situations. Right, let's get back to normal. What is normal then? Is this normal? It's just a setting. That's why I ask you, is it right or wrong for the pen to have this cap on another pen? Is this right? Is this right? Is this right? Or is it wrong? How can you say it's wrong? If it's wrong, how can you have this? These are just configurational changes, ladies and gentlemen. This is what I want you to get your heads around. All of what you see are just configurational changes of the same stuff. Patavi, apo, tejo, vayo, varna, ganda, rasa, oja. This is the pure octave. Ultimately, all of that is also energy. The reason that on some occasions energy manifests as patavi is because there's, an, there's a force acting on that energy. That is the shape that that energy has taken. It manifests as patavi. It's just energy. Energy can manifest as patavi, it can manifest as vayo, it can manifest as tejo, and so on. In the same way, energy can manifest as rupa. That it does only in a chitta. Energy can manifest as Vedana. Where does it do that? In a Chitta. Because the Chitta is the only structure in which Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vijnana can manifest. 
See, as for an, as an example, energy can manifest as sound only in that speaker or through that speaker. Energy can manifest as light only through a bulb. It cannot do that through the fan. See, different structures allow different manifestations of the same energy. The electricity board sends us energy through the wires, right? That comes as electrical energy. Because in a wire, what do you get? Electrical energy. That is the manifestation that structure allows. But plug that wire to a, to a fan, what do you get now? Mechanical energy. Kinetic energy. Because that arrangement, that structure allows for that manifestation. So you see, this is the energy, this is also energy. Energy and matter, one and the same. Energy is matter, matter is energy. If you don't believe the Buddha, at least believe Einstein. <laughs> Thankfully, he said the same thing. Right? Energy is matter and matter is energy. Just in a different arrangement. But once you put it to a certain structure, there are certain qualities that it possesses. That is why what you can do with water, you can't do with ice. What you can do with ice, you can't do with water. Don't you agree? What can you do with water that you can't do with ice? Wash. There you go. What, you can, what can you do with ice that you can't do with water? Hmm? You can't throw it 300 meters. But a piece of ice, you can. You can't throw water that far. Well, you can, but it travels better as ice. And you can, you can keep it on a, on a desk without a container. See, that you can't do with water because it flows. It's just the same stuff, different arrangements. And why are we interested in different arrangements? Because of the qualities that they then present to us. That is why as human beings, our study of science, ladies and gentlemen, our study of chemistry, our study of physics, our study of biology, and the various other sciences, is so that we understand how we can get the characteristics that we want, the qualities that we want from Mother Nature, from rearranging the things that nature gives us. How can we get our wants, our desires, our needs fulfilled? Because we have various needs. Now, you can't eat a tree, but you can eat an apple. You can't eat soil, but you can eat an apple. I mean, someone says, I'm vegetarian. I don't eat meat. The animal dies, becomes soil. The tree absorbs it, makes a fruit. Now you eat it. So put your hand up if you think you're vegetarian. Put your hand up if you think you're non-vegetarian. There's no such thing. We are only matterians or energitarians. All we take is energy. We can think to ourselves, you see, one who believes that they're a vegetarian, like I used to remember my old story. If you think you're a vegetarian, again you're looking at the world as a fixed thing. Because there are meat things and there are non-meat things. That's a, that's a fixed view of the world. If you think you're a non-vegetarian, again you're taking a fixed view of the world. Now think about it, when, what was his name, hmm. Devadatta, there approached the Buddha, right? and he asked the Buddha to lay down five rules 
of conduct for the monks. And he said one of them should be that all monks should be vegetarian. Without an understanding of this doctrine, of this philosophy, you might think, you know, how virtuous Devadatta was. See, how virtuous Devadatta was. Why could the Buddha not in all his compassion towards all sentient beings have not laid down that rule and said all, all bhikkhus and bhikkhunis should be vegetarians? Because to the, to the Buddha, this, this, this thing makes no sense. This claim makes no sense. This request makes no sense. Because he doesn't see the world as animals, birds and bees. Or he doesn't see the world as flora and fauna. He sees the world as just matter arranged in different ways. Of course, you know, people will say various things. And when, when, because we have to live coherently and cohesively with, with everyone, right? And we have to be able to uh, interact with others and not 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 you know become uh, victim of their of their accusations right therefore for the for the continuation of the buddha sasana from time to time he would have laid down certain rules and and and, and uh, ways of conduct but he understands the world as energy configured in different ways so to him if you ask him should monks be vegetarians i can understand now why he said no those who choose to be vegetarians, may they be. Those, those who choose to be non-vegetarians, then let them be. Because neither of those practices are against Buddhist philosophy. But if you see the world as that, then again you're separating this world into two things. You're seeing fixed things. That's the problem. If for health reasons, for you know, just for health reasons, you, you have chosen a lifestyle of vegetarianism, then it's fine. Because that you understand, because again, they have qualities, right? Meat, it has a different quality to vegetables, different qualities. You know, sometimes food, matter, the same matter arranged in a certain way is easy to digest. Some food arranged in a certain way, it can be poisonous. It can be harmful to the body. But in another configuration, it is harmless. If you take venom, for instance, the venom is venomous, it kills, right? But if you take the, the chemical components, right, break it down into its individual elements, it's the same stuff that goes into making everything else. It's the same stuff that goes into making your pudding. But in one form, it's a neurotoxin. In another form, it's a tongue pleaser. Same stuff. Just a different arrangement, because in different arrangements they have different qualities. We are interested in these qualities because we need to be able to do things in life. Like if you want to sit, you need something that is hard. You can't have something soft to sit on. So therefore you need more patavi. So if you were to make something to sit on, what would you what what arrangements would you have there? A lot of patavi. Yeah, you need something that is hard, something that is solid. So keep packing more of that stuff. And less of the vayo stuff. That's it. But if you want to breathe, if you want to wash, if you want to drink, right? Now, too much patavi is not is is, is not going to be able to make it do it for you. You need less patavi, more apu, more tejo, more vayo. So, let's make sure that we understand the world as it really is. Once you begin to see the world through this lens, 
what you begin to understand is just as all things in this world are pure manifestations meaning arrangements of energy then the same goes here as well because one might question how is my understanding of all these things being the same going to help me to attain nibbana how is that going to help me does that how does that make me perceive less of the self if i if i begin to see all these things as processes swami nanda okay i understand that but how is that going to help me because really what i'm asking you to do is not to try and understand the logic behind this i'm not trying to i'm trying not trying to explain to you this arrangement this take this one i'm not trying to explain to you the makeup of this leaf i'm trying to make a, i'm trying to explain to you the principle behind the makeup of this leaf not the leaf because the principle is the same the same principle goes into making everything right the, the the elements that go into making this may be very different to the elements that go into making this what we need to specialize in is not those elements and how they make up these objects so our study is not in how to make a leaf or how to make a duster it is in understanding that these things are all made that is what we are trying to understand that these are all manufactured not the manufacturing of x or the manufacturing of y but manufacturing the principle of manufacturing all things are manufactured all things are causative they are based in causes and they will only prevail for as long as the causes prevail this is why they are called effects as soon as you turn down the causes or turn off the causes the effects will turn off so the effects cannot be independent of the causes they should always they'll always be together in fact when you when you provide the causes you don't need to you don't need to bring in an effect from anywhere those causes themselves manifest the effect take now i'll give you an, an example think about this um remember the other day we talked about the word no and on right i'll take another word today okay think about this what do you say hmm star think about why you see star not why you see stars <laughs> if someone not you on your head you'll see stars <laughs> that's not why think about why you look at this and you perceive star let's let's talk through what some of those causes are s is one of the causes in fact you know if this was now do you see star no now you see ta yeah if this was n you don't see star right so you don't perceive star so therefore s is a cause is that the only cause no what are the causes do you see t so i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to mark the causes all right let's see how many causes we can identify you might think that we are actually specializing in star that's the that's the that's the idea that you probably get right now so we are learning star that's okay but then we'll i'll explain to you the the reason behind doing this so first of all let's identify the causes here's one next another one yeah another one here okay so here you will identify how many causes there's four causes so far right what about the fact that s is next to t 
That's another cause, isn't it? Right, that's another one there. How about the fact that T is next to A? That's another one. A next to R? That's another one. What else do you see as causes? How about the fact that ST are next to AR? Hmm? What if AR was ahead of S and T? That wouldn't work either, would it? So that's another cause. Hmm? What else? So we have one, two, three, four, another four there. What if this was this way? The T was upside down. I mean, it's just a letter. If you turn it upside down, you don't perceive it as a letter. Because really, you're not, I haven't written anything on here. You think I've written a word here. In fact, you think this is English. I just drew some scribbles on the board. Let me draw some scribbles on the board. You tell me what you think it is, okay? In fact, I'm not going to look at the board. You tell me what you think it is. Uh, I'm just drawing some scribbles on the board. Why are you saying it's... Oh, it's a B. Huh. I only just realized that. See, I didn't even intend to draw B. I just, I'm just drawing some scribbles. Okay, let's try another one. Uh, What is that? What is that? Hold on, hold on, I'll make it something for you. I'm not drawing anything I drew initially. I'm sorry, I'm not erasing any of that. What do you see now? Hmm? R and I. Did I draw that? I wasn't intending to draw that. I was just drawing some scribbles. But you perceive them as certain things because you, you, you see a connection between these things. See, this line is connected to this line, is connected to this line, is connected to this line. That connection you, 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 you have in your own mind. See, how many causes going to make in this R? And then if you know something as R, you'll think, oh, this that one. These are all creations of your own mind. So, star. Now you're seeing lots of causes here. What if I rearrange these letters? Now I've just written the same thing in reverse order. Rats. See, it's the same letters but in reverse order. How is it that I can simply change the arrangement and give you a different manifestation? When you think the word star, do you get the same feeling and emotion as when you see rats? Do you? No, that is why. When you see this, you get a different emotion to when you see this. Different arrangement. That's it. That's why water and ice, you perceive as different things and they have different arrangements so therefore different qualities. See? Different qualities. You know well and truly that when you see this, you get a different emotion, a different emotional response to when you see this. But it's the same letters, different arrangement. Now do you understand that the whole world is the same, ladies and gentlemen? The whole world is the same. All there is are different arrangements of the same stuff. That's why we say nothing is fixed. 
there are no fixed things. That's why this, I can simply take these letters out, arrange them in a certain way, in another way, and give you a completely different emotional response. Or ignite within you a different emotional response. All of that is possible because of the nature of anicca. So, what then is dukkha? How do we understand dukkha through this? Let's try. Hmm? Yes. See, this is this is a very subtle point, but I think you can all because we've all come this far, you can understand what I'm trying to be, going to try to explain to you. When you see this word star, okay, you perceive that this word is actually star. That there's there's a star here, not an actual star, but you think that the word here is star. You don't, you don't perceive this as simply an arrangement of letters in a certain order. You actually perceive star, because that, that's why it, it, it ignites within you emo, an emotional response to this. right? That is Dukkha. Not this is Dukkha. This is, it's not the star that is Dukkha. In your mind, your perceiving there to be a fixed thing here is Dukkha. So Dukkha is a condition of the mind. Dukkha is a condition of the mind. A state of the mind. It's a state. Right? So the, the mind can be either with dukkha or without dukkha. When the mind is with dukkha, you look at a physical object out there and you think that is there. It's not an arrangement, but rather it's a fixed thing. It's an entity. This entity-based thinking, this unitary thinking, is characteristic of dukkha. So why then does the Buddha say, Yadanichantan dukkha? And here's why. Because if what there is is anicca, if anicca is the, is, is the nature of all things, then the reason that you see an outside world object and you think that it exists as an entity is because in your mind, dukkha is what is taking place right now. So he's actually diagnosing the problem when he says, Yadanichantan dukkhaṁ. You can almost think, think of the Buddha doing this. Puts a stethoscope. Yadanicca tandukka. Do you get that? He's got the stethoscope on. He's examining you. Placing the steth on your chest. Listening to the murmurs of the chest. Right? Breathe in. Uh-huh. Breathe out. Yadanicca tandukka. In other words, if anicca is the nature of all things. As you can see, this is purely an arrangement. If all there are are arrangements, and if in the mind also there is only an arrangement, how is the mind an arrangement? Because what is the mind after all? Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vijnana. And if Jati is happening in the mind, then we know the process of Jati. It's, 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 a, it's a process-driven phenomenon, right? So you have Avidya, or ignorance, and then the uh, expect, uh, feeling, uh, the uh, promise of expect, uh, or the expectation of pleasure. Right? Then you have the uh, the bhava, abhisanka. You have the bhava. You have the jati. Right. So that is also a manifestation. In as much as this is a manifestation, in fact, let me just take a, a short detour. We know this process of ignorance, and then you have the uh, expectation of pleasure. You have 
uh, attachment, yeah, you have becoming and you have jati. I'm just trying to explain a, an important point here. Why is this star? It's not just because of the causes, but the order of these causes also have, also determine that this is star. What if we were to change the, the order of these causes? So instead of ignorance and, and uh, expectation here, we take out attachment from here and we put it here. Hmm? And then uh, straight up to becoming and then take out jati from here and actually put it up here. This, is, this becomes jati and then this becomes becoming and then this becomes expectation. You know, this is just madness. And I'm, I'm going crazy here. This makes no sense. This makes no sense because now it's the same causes, yes, but a very different arrangement. Because it's a different arrangement, it does not manifest as jati. It won't manifest as jati. Just like if these causes were rearranged, you get a different product. If this were the case, perhaps you know it would have been something else, but certainly not jati. Jati won't happen that way. For jati to happen, it has to be in that order and those causes coming together in that order. So don't you see that jati is purely and wholly and characteristically anicca? What is anicca? Causes and their order. Why is this manifesting as a beetle leaf? Causes in that order. Why is this as manifesting as a cloth? Causes in that order. See, the alignment of causes is, is as important as those causes themselves. That whole thing is, is part of anicca. Now, therefore, this is jati because of the causes in that order. So, therefore, jati is also characteristically anicca. So, therefore, if you are the nicca, if anicca is, is the nature of all things, then what is it that is happening to you right now? has to be jati. Because remember, the Buddha is a, is a doctor, isn't he? He's come to diagnose. He's come to diagnose, to give the, the treatment, and then to, to help you heal. So if he's a doctor, he's, he's come here to examine what's gone wrong with us. So he examines the mind and he tells us, ah, jati. So he studies the symptoms. He, once he studies the symptoms, he sees that all there is is anicca. So if all there is is anicca, then this can't be anything other than jati. It can't be self, certainly. Why can't it not be self? What is self not based in? Causes. Exactly. What are the causes for self? Are there causes or are there no causes? You can't answer that question. You really can't answer that question. because How can you answer a question about something that doesn't exist? We don't know what the causes for self are because we, it's never manifested. It's never, we've never had that. It, we, we don't expect to have it, but you know, it's never been there. So we don't know what the causes for self are. All we know are the causes for things that are. Jati is. Self isn't. We've never seen self. We've never come across it. Have you? Have you ever come across self? No, we've never come across self. All we have, is come, have come across is the sense of self. Sense of self is a product of jati, not self. In fact, self, we don't know whether self gives you the same feeling. 
We don't know that. Why don't we know that? Because self has never been. But what gives the sense of self? In fact, you know, it's, 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 me, it's like me saying, if Santa were real, I don't know whether he'll give gifts or not. I don't know. Honestly, I wouldn't know. Maybe he might give gifts, maybe he might not. Because we don't know. We have never seen Santa. Who have we seen? People who dress like Santa and they give gifts. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm giving you an analogy here. Yeah? So people who dress like Santa, they give gifts. So if you ask me, does Santa also give gifts? What do I have to say? I don't know. Show me Santa, I'll tell you. So then bring me Santa. Where is Santa? Where do you go find him? You can't. So does Santa give gifts? Yes or no? Huh? Answer? Yes or no? <laughs> Asking the wrong question. You can't answer yes because we've never received gifts from Santa. You can't answer no because we don't know what the heck Santa does. We've never met him. But do people who dress like Santa, do they give gifts? Yes. That's why we don't talk about a self here. Because we don't, actually, in fact, you know, even the Buddha didn't know what self was. See, in all his wisdom, he didn't know what the self was. But there were other teachers in the, in the day. They knew self, but the Buddha didn't. There are things even Buddhas don't know. In their omniscience, they still don't know some things, such as self. What is self? Buddha will say, asking the wrong question. Because ask me something I know and I can tell you about it. Ask me something I don't know, how can I answer? But ask him about the sense of self, this perception of self, and the Buddha says, ah, that I can answer. This perception of self is based in jati. Jati is a condition of the mind, it's a disease of the mind, and when that disease takes over, now you sense a self. Is that self? Can't answer that, because we don't know what self is. See, in that way, yadanichantam dukkha, if all there is is anicca, I mean, anicca is not a thing, you understand that now, right? Last week I, I was struggling to understand, <laughs> explain what anicca was, I said anicca. Anicca is this, well, anicca is this, is like, Sometimes I wonder, why don't you understand what anicca is? <laughs> I mean, if all there is, that's like you ask me, what is nature? Huh? <laughs> what do you mean, what is nature? All there is, is nature. How do you explain what anicca is? Anicca is anicca, and the reason you're asking me this question is also because of anicca. Because the causes haven't lined up for you to understand what anicca is. <laughs> That's why. Anicca is anicca, that is all there is. It means cause and effect. It means there are effects because of causes. It means the effects cannot be removed from the causes. It means only as long as the causes will prevail, will the effect prevail. All of that is anicca. All you see is anicca. All you hear is anicca. All you smell, taste, touch and all you sense is anicca. Everything is anicca. The whole world is anicca. <laughs> That's all there is. This is Hetu Palavada. And if all there is is anicca, then the, 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 the disease that you have in the mind must also be a product of anicca. Therefore, jati. Jati is a product of anicca. Because jati is a product of causes. Turn off the causes, you've turned off the effect of jati. 
Therefore, jati is not fixed. But the irony of it is, jati gives you the impression of fixed. So this perception of fixedness is also thanks to anicca, non-fixedness. Thanks to non-fixedness, you perceive fixedness. That is the nature of this. So, yadanichantandukkan then, because of this nature of anicca, we have jati. So if jati is what there is, then why do you say it is a self? Why do you claim it to be a separated thing? Because jati is not a separated thing, is it? Why do we say jati is not a separated thing? Because it's cause and effect driven. Only for as long as there are the causes can you have the effect of jati. So if jati itself is based in causes, how can you say that there are that this jati or what you think is going on in, inside of you is a separation? It cannot be because it is not separate. Anatta. So then don't be calling this yourself a self. Don't be calling these things yours because it makes no sense. And don't be thinking that these things are separated. That they are mine or they are me. Once you have seen this, once you have realized this, then you begin to realize the the true nature of all things. In this manner, eva in this manner, you realize the true nature of all things. Samapanya, through wisdom, through insight, you realize all things. That's why if the problem here is, is fixed, then the problem elsewhere is fixed as well. You can't have an arahant who, is only, who only sees the, the, the cause and effect nature of oneself, but does not see the cause and effect nature of other things out there. You, know, you can't have a half arahant. It doesn't work like that. And you can't have an arahant who sees all these things as being manifestations, but inside they still feel a self. You can't have like that. All of that happens at the same time. It's like when you go blind, all is blind. When you see, you see it all. It's not half and half. That is why, if sometimes you might ask me a question, Venerable Sir, where do we apply the concept of anicca? Do we apply it to physical things out there or do we apply it to this jati business inside here? My answer to that is, it matters not what you apply to because it is not the thing that you need to apply to. It is the principle that you need to reflect on. It's the principle. Application has to be done with the principle, the principle of anicca, the principle of cause and effect. Yes, we use examples to talk about how they manifest themselves. So I'll talk to you about the red pen and the blue pen. Sorry, the black pen and the red pen. I'll talk to you about these as examples. But it is not to them you're supposed to apply it. You're just supposed to apply or contemplate on the principle of anicca, not these objects. But... To explain this principle, of course we take objects as examples. I, a, a very common uh, example I use when we, when we talk about this, this, this phenomenon is, if you are trying to explain to someone the concept of weight, not weight, weight, right? mass times gravity, force of gravity gives you weight. If you are trying to explain to someone the concept of weight, you are going to have to use some examples, haven't you? You're going to have to say, see, this object, it has weight. This object has weight. This object has weight. If at the end of this lesson, where I've, I've used three objects, I've, I've, calculated, I've worked out their mass, I've times it by 
meters per square second, uh, per second squared, and I've told you this is the weight of this object, this is the weight of this object, this is the weight of this object. At the end of that, if you come and ask me, oh, I get it, so many I get it, I get it, I get it. These three objects, they have weight. What about this one? If you are now asking me this question, have you understood the phenomenon of weight? No, you haven't. What you've been thinking was that I was trying to explain to you these three objects. That is not what I'm intending to do. I'm not trying to explain to you the nature of these three objects. I'm trying to explain to you the nature of nature. All things. That is why anicca is the phenomenon I'm trying to get across to you. Not about their application or how they relate to individual objects. The very reason that you see the individual objects is because of that phenomenon. Yeah? So you can't come and ask me, I get it that these three objects are, they have weight. How about this object? Does this have weight? You can ask, and let me ask me, what is its weight? But if you ask me, does this have weight? Have you understood the phenomenon of weight? You haven't understood the phenomenon of weight. So when you ask me that question, that is what I realize. You haven't understood the phenomenon of weight. So what do I do then? So I say, yes, yes, it does have weight. It does. See, it has a mass. And it is, it is in the field of gravity. So therefore, it has weight. See? And we work out the numbers and I tell you that is its weight. Then you say, aha, now I got it. That's what people say. Now I got it. What did you get? I understood that these two pens have weight, the duster has weight, as well as the saucer that also has weight. What about the clock? <laughs> have they understood weight? No. See, do you see that I'm, what we're trying to explain to you is the phenomenon of anicca. Not whether this, that or the other is anicca. So the same applies internally as well. Because if all is anicca, is, is there a point in asking, is it outside or inside? Is there a point in asking whether it is to jati we must apply anicca or to the objects, the jati dhamma that we must apply anicca? It makes no sense. Because we are trying to explain to you the phenomenon of anicca, not to the things that it applies to. That application we do because we need examples to talk about. That's why. But it's a phenomenon that one needs to understand. Because if you needed to work out whether this was anicca, first of all, you need to calculate the mass of this object. And if you can't work out the mass of this object, then you're lost. But if you understand that this has weight, do you need to understand that what the mass is? If, you're, if all you're trying to do is to understand the fact that, they, that this object has weight, it has weight, not what its weight is. The fact that it has weight, do you need to know what its mass is? Do you? To understand it has weight? No, you don't. But if you want to work out what its weight is, now you need to work out its mass. So then you've got to take it to the laboratory, break it down, chop it up, slice it up, and you know, take all the molecules in there, work out their molecular weight, put it all together. You've got to do all that. But to understand the concept that this has weight, you don't need to do any of that. You know that there's a field of gravity. You know, you look like, you know it looks like an, you know, a solid object, so it must have weight. So what about jati then? Do you need to understand how jati happens? In fact, you need to understand all the steps that lead to jati. That it is first ignorance and then attachment and then, and then vedana and then salayatan and then pasa and then you know, all that. You need to understand the, 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 you know, the step-by-step approach to jati. Do you need to? You don't need to. What do you, must you understand? It's, yeah, it's, it's a process. You, that is the principle that you need to get. Otherwise, how on earth can someone just hear these words? Ye dhamma hetu pabava. Te sang hetu tadagatua. 
Yedamma hetu pabha was enough for someone to understand that this world is anicca. Who explained to him what those causes were? Hmm? Who explained to him the causes? Ditte ditte matta. Who explained to him the, the, you know, the optical process of seeing? No one explained to him that. Who talked to him about Rupa Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vinyana? No one explained to him that. But here's what they understood. That there's a phenomenon of cause and effect. See, Yedamma Hyatukpabhava. Isn't the phenomenon very well pronounced in that, in the, in that, in that phrase? Hmm? In that phrase, Yedamma Hyatukpabhava. Isn't the phenomenon of cause and effect very well pronounced? It is. But are the causes themselves actually itemized in that? No, it's not. So then what did the Venerable Sariputta understand? He understood the principle of cause and effect. That is his becoming of a Sotapanna. So he realized if, if that is so, then all things in this universe must be cause and effect driven, including his perception of self. But what he didn't understand was Avidya Pacha, Sankara Pacha, Vinyana Pacha, Namuru. He doesn't understand that. He doesn't understand, he does, because he doesn't know, no one's taught him that. No one's taught him the step-by-step approach to be, to, to lead, that leads to Jati. But that is not what is required to become a Sotapanna. That is why Guru Hamdra tells time and time again, study of Dhamma and study of Nibbana are different things. Reading the Tripitaka letter to letter, page to page, right from start to end, you will learn about the Dhamma. In fact, what you learn about is the chittas, the chaitasikas, the rupas, and how their, their, their concomitants are, you know, how they work with each other, uh, what their arrangements are, what they, how, you know, how they work together, which ones are mutually exclusive, which ones always appear together. These are just dhammas. It is not the same as understanding the principle of cause and effect. It's not the specifics we need. It's the phenomenon of cause and effect. Does that make sense to everyone? Wonderful. Yes. Exactly. We can, under- we can ask these questions and try and understand how things are formed and that gives us more knowledge about the world. It helps us to become more knowledgeable about the world. Right? In fact, now in, in, in some talks, you know, we take chemistry as an example. We take how words are constructed as an example. We take physics as an example. Our knowledge about these, t- these subjects that we've learned in our past, thanks to our t- good teachers who've spent the time painstakingly to teach us them, we use that knowledge to give you examples. But that is the example. To give you examples of the manifestation of anicca. But then to think that the lesson is about the example, that's wrong. It's not about the example. Examples are only used to explain a bigger concept, isn't it? So, if you ask the question, how is this anicca? We can use this as an example to explain how this is anicca. But at the end of that lesson, you need to walk away, not having understood how this is anicca. What must you walk away with? What anicca is. These are only examples. I think that's clear to everyone now. Good. All right. So, we have a big day today then, for everyone. We're going to start off with the period chanting. That will happen in the afternoon, right after Guru Thero's sermon. This is protection. You know that the period is 
considered to be protection, isn't it? Pirith book is also referred to as the book of protection. Have you ever wondered how Pirith protects? Pirith protects through the principle of Dhammo Haverakati Dhammachari. The Buddha teaches us how one can be protected. Dhammo Haverakati Dhammachari. One who lives by the Dhamma is protected by the Dhamma. So then why is Pirit protective? Because what is in Pirit? It is the Dhamma. Right from his very first discourse, the Dhamma Chakka Pavattana Sutta, right? A number of suttas that have been compiled through the, having, having scoured the Tripitaka, a number of those suttas have been compiled so that it can be uh, recited in the course of one evening, one sitting. That is, that, is, that is conventionally today the book of protection or the Pirit book. What's important for you, for all of you, is as you recite those suttas, now, because some of it is in, almost all of it is in, is in the Pali, it may not all make sense to you. But here's what will. You've understood the principle of Anicca. You've understood the Dhamma. You've understood the philosophy that, is, that, is being, that has been taught to us. Bear that in mind and try to make sense of those suttas as best you can. In the Girimananda Sutta, for instance, The Buddha asks Ananda, Katamacha Ananda, Anicca Sanya. Ananda, what is this? What is Anicca? And then the Buddha gives a reply to that because he wants the, the Venerable Ananda to go and meet with the Venerable Girimananda, who is, who is indisposed, and to help him heal. One might wonder how does, how does listening to the Pirit help, help one heal from a physical ailment? All that is possible once you begin to understand that the body is a manifestation of the energy that the mind exerts on itself. That is all possible. Not, none of this is now impossible. But in the same manner, what if, it, what if this were the case? Let's say that, I'm not talking specifically about the Girimanas who throw what happened to the Venerable Girimanas, I'm talking about just, just generally, someone's ill, someone's got a bad back, a bad you know, headache or you know, some part of their body is ailed and they're, they're feeling very, very rough. Okay? What does the Dhamma help them do? They help them to separate Nama and Rupa. In other words, what it helps them to do is to extinguish the sense of self and thereby any physical ailments, any physical discomforts they begin to simply perceive as a discomfort on the body, not on me. That only the Dhamma can do. Say if you have a bad back, for instance. If you suffer from this bad back, 75% of this ache will actually be a heartache. In fact, your mind ache. You're suffering mentally because of this. 75% of it is that. 25% of it is physical pain. But remember, you only know about this pain because of your chittas, right? If not the mind, how would you perceive it? That is why a dead body doesn't feel. A dead body doesn't perceive because, I mean, it's still cut. It's bleeding. But the body, but the, there's no mind there, so therefore perception doesn't happen. Yeah? So, but when perception happens, you, your chittas, your mind, perceive that physical sensation. It's a physical sensation. 
But when self or the sense of self happens, when jati happens in the mind, it identifies with that pain. That pain is my pain. And when that pain becomes my pain, you begin to suffer tremendously. Because you internalize that pain. You personify that pain. That pain becomes you and you become the pain. Sometimes it can be so painful then that you even faint. Because you have completely internalized that pain. You become part of that pain. I am pain. Not I am in pain. <laughs> you become I am pain. So what does the Dhamma help you do? The, the Dhamma helps you to reflect on the truth of pain. And then realize that the Chitta is merely identifying this, this sensation. So much so, ladies and gentlemen, just think about this, you know, think about this for homework if you want to. Right? Just some, an idea I want to leave you with. If you are ever cut somewhere, right, say some sharp object has just pierced your skin and it's bleeding, whatever. Do try and come to your senses in those moments at least that this discomfort that you are feeling right now, the place that has endured that cut does not actually experience that pain. It is not felt there. It is not so painful in the, in the sight of that uh, sight of the damage. It's not so painful. This is simply the way that you perceive that pain. In fact, your chitta perceives that pain. It's not that bad where it has happened. It's a bit like, you know, the story where the... Uh, what was it? The... I think it was a, it was a rabbit, wasn't it? That, that, that cried that the sky was falling. Was it a rabbit? Rabbit? Rabbit, yeah? So the rabbit in the jungle cried the sky was falling and it started running. And then every animal that it met, right, it all started running with it. And then by the time you know, they finally discovered the whole jungle had, had escaped, had run out, of the, run out of the jungle, all the animals. So, but was it that bad where it actually happened? What had actually happened? Something just fallen out of a tree or something, right? But the way it was reported was very different to how it actually happened. And the same thing happens with physical pains. When you're exerting yourself, sometimes when you're at the, maybe you're at the gym, you're doing some exercise for yourself, right? Or you're working something, right? And you feel a headache or a backache or a legache or whatever, your stomachache, right? When you feel these pains, do come to your senses if you can, if you can at least, that it's not so bad where it has happened. In fact, it's not bad at all. Yes, an event has happened. Maybe it's bleeding. It needs a, it needs a stitch, right? Maybe there's a cut and it needs a bandage. But the pain that you are experiencing, that is not so. It is not actually there in the, in the, in the sight of the, 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 the damage. It is simply your perception of it. It helps because now you, you go into action. You go into action to try and fix it. But that is all that pain serves. Pain tells you that something's happening with your body. Go and do something about it. That is what pain is for. Because if pain was so pleasurable, you wouldn't fix your bodies, would you? When things start to break? If this wasn't painful, if this was pleasurable, what would you do? You'd keep doing it until it broke. But biologically, it is, it is so, it is designed so, so that you don't, you don't do things that break your body. That is why this sensation is painful, which is very different to this sensation. Because this doesn't harm the body. This does. The body is required for, for, for existence. 
all things in this world are geared towards existence existence is is what is is what this world is for without existence the world wouldn't be so therefore your nervous system you know what are systems for what are systems for existence hmm so your your nervous system what is it for circulatory system digestive system excretory system reproductive system all of these are for existence so therefore here's a system your nervous system tells you this is going to disrupt existence act stop 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 it is going to disrupt existence because you couldn't exist without this finger if it broke it would be very difficult to exist that's why guru hamdo says not even a single strand of your hair of on your of hair on your head helps you to attain nibbana because they are all products or by products of existence existence is the name of the game this world has been put together for the purpose of existence now i'll ask you one final question before we conclude why do you think buddha has come into this world no to stop existence to ensure existence huh because if buddhas didn't come into this world from time to time there would be too much chaos there would be too much disruption too much badness too much evilness just too much of it that the world would not be able to exist therefore from time to time buddhas come into this world and what has gone into chaos they settle down so that existence can always continue haha <laughs> they're all part of the same thing <laughs> that is not meant to make you lose your faith or respect or devotion towards the buddha it's simply to help you understand that all there is is existence if not for the buddhas you know this world wouldn't survive because forever i mean how many buddhas have come and gone the world is still here isn't it yes the world goes through destruction but it is formed again and it destructs and is formed again it destructs and forms again there have been plenty of buddhas in the past and there will be plenty of buddhas in the in the future if not for the buddhas and not for the maras these two they work together so that existence can continue for existence to happen there should be destruction energy has to be dispersed so that it can be brought back together again in a different form that is what the buddhas do their job is to disperse energy put it back where it belongs so that that energy can be brought back together to form something new again don't ask me any questions about that these are forbidden topics <laughs> to be talking about but that is all there is existence so all systems are there to ensure existence can happen forever and ever and ever but the point i was trying to make was whenever you feel this pain you need to recognize that there's a system in place that 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 helps you to perceive pain it is not painful here at the object where that that damage has happened it's not painful there you simply perceive pain because there's a system in place to protect your existence the body has to prevail for existence to be that's why so don't think it's so painful there when you're hungry it's not that bad 
but it feels bad. When you're hot, it's not that bad because it actually there's nothing called hot outside. There's just energy. This hotness that you feel, you know, when you're sweating and it's it's in so much heat, you know, you feel oh my God, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna melt now. It's so hot in here. Really, it's not so hot. This it's not so bad. It's not so painful. This will help you one day when you are in a lot of physical discomfort. So do try and bear it in mind. At least when that ha- when that happens one day, say you fall, you you, you break your hip. God forbid, you you know you crack your skull or something, or you break an arm, a leg, get a fracture, and you can't come to the monastery for six weeks, right? Even while you're at home, do try and reflect on this. It's not so bad where it has happened. This is like the 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 rabbit that called the sky is cried that the sky was falling. It is the same concept here. It's not that bad, but your mind is simply perceiving it as bad. It's it's just a painful perception. It's not bad there where it happened. Right, so that's why we have Pirit. So what I want you all to do today, when you listen to the Pirit, do try and put the meaning of what you have understood. Do try and put meaning into those words. So they're not just words. And that's why it's not in Greek. <laughs> It'd be pointless otherwise. Do try and put meaning to these words. And then, every time you reflect on its meaning, it'll make sense to you. So like using a scrub to to brush off that rusty metal every time the dhamma runs through your mind it's doing what it needs to do you don't need to think about it in fact you don't need to make the dhamma work you just need to contemplate on the dhamma the dhamma will do what it's supposed to do yeah so if something's dirty you just need to put the water the water will do what it's supposed to do you don't need to go and do anything else in the same way if the dhamma runs through your mind the dhamma will do what it's supposed to do So make use of that. That is how it can be a book, a book of protection, a chanting of protection. Just the words themselves may have an effect, may. But I'm not a big believer in in such things. What I believe in, what action we take up ourselves. So what I believe is, if I can reflect on the meanings of those sutras, if I can contemplate on the dhamma, what is anicca? What is the anicca sanya? If you know the dhamma chakka patan sutra, when we when we start chanting it. you know and and the and and the buddha says that this jati has never been reflected re- discovered before this dukkha has never been discovered before you know it it should send a shiver down your spine thinking my my god you know how fortunate we are how blessed we are to be able to have received this that will that will inspire within you joy and and you know such positive emotions and and feelings let that let that happen within you embrace that So to whatever degree you can reflect on the dhamma and that becomes your protection. All right, let's conclude for today then. Let us all take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the noble triple gem, listening to the dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are. to be in receipt of the lord buddha's teaching and with immense gratitude let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis upasakas and upasikas who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the tripitaka which is thankfully available to us today to study understand and comprehend the dhamma there is also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the mahasangha present throughout the world including the chief priests of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves to as the betterment of all sentient beings 
Let us not forget that amongst them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries, who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to my teacher, Guru Samin Mohanse, as well as all the monks resident at the monastery and the Anagarika and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by chance recreating these sermons, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them. And may, through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May, through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Limba. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees and friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, armed robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. May, through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these maids to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped us, supported us and assisted us in any way, shape or form. And by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these mazes, devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, and primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who have committed themselves to fulfilling and preserving the Sambhuddha Sasana. Let us also transfer these mazes to all the deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way, and may, through the power of these merits, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us, and to all those who have been our families, friends, and acquaintances in this infinite long journey of Sansara, those who have helped us, supported us, and assisted us along the way. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also transfer these merits to the members of the armed forces, as well as the police force who sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. Let us also transfer these merits to those who have lost their lives in, in the wars, be their friend or foe, as well as those who have lost their lives in natural disasters and calamities such as tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, fires, blizzards, as well as the pandemics, reminding ourselves that they will all have been mothers and fathers to us, brothers and sisters to us, sons and daughters to us, friends and acquaintances to us. In this infinite long journey of sansara, it is in their bloodshed and sweat and tears today we are able to enjoy the comforts in life and practice the path in peace and harmony. May therefore, being grateful to all of them, let us take a moment to transfer all the merits that we have all acquired to all of them. May they all rejoice in these merits. If any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Finally, it is all resolved that may, to the power and blessings of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may you and I and everyone who's helped make this program a success become a Rahatan Mahanse or an Arahataranin Mahanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all.
and the members of the Mahasangha who will now transfer their blessings to you. Raga Anant Mahaguna Belen, Silo Loka Silo Satyam, Nibana Paramasoke, Sukta Taradetva, Sadu, Sadu, Sadu.